This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. All that meat and no potatoes just ain't right like green tomatoes. Yeah, I'm waiting, palpitating. But all that meat and no potatoes. All that meat and no potatoes. Well, all good morning. It's Monday morning, and it's time for Deep South Dining. Hello, Carol. How are you this morning? Hey, Mal. I'm great. How about yourself? Life is good. Life is good. How about that? No meat and all no potatoes. Leave DJ Java, Java on the scene again. Yeah. DJ Java comes up with the perfect song. He's probably been thinking about Adrian and barbecue all week. Just a little, well, a little Fats Waller to um, start start our Monday morning. Yeah, Malcolm, you've been eating well this weekend. As always, uh, before we uh, take a deep dive into barbecue, I want to talk a little bit about fish. Uh, as I have been on a fishing expedition at Pickwick Lake. And we had a monumental fish fry uh, on Friday night. We caught crappie, which is what we set out to catch. We caught crappie, we caught catfish, and we caught bass. And we actually caught two different kinds of bass. We caught the largemouth bass and the rather rare uh, smallmouth bass. So we had a feast of hush puppies, french fries, coleslaw, crappie, catfish, and bass on Friday night right there overlooking Pickwick Lake at Tommy Cadle's cabin. Okay, well, I have two questions. Put it on. Who cleaned them and who cooked them? (laughs) Well, both were a joint effort between Tommy Cadle, Tom O'Massey, and myself. We, We all helped clean, we all caught, and we all helped cook and clean up after the fish fry. Most important. Well... Back at, back at your house in Jackson, I mean, I see on Facebook, uh, on our Cooking and Coping website, there were some uh, pies going on, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a beautiful uh, fruit pie. Uh, Kara's always cooking up something. And, and yesterday, uh, Sunday afternoon, <clears throat> I grilled, and we're going to get Adrian to tell us a little bit uh, later here, the difference between grilling and barbecuing and I was not barbecuing I was grilling and it looked good it was good we grilled some chicken some pork I grilled some naan and I grilled a bunch of skewered vegetables as well well I can't lay claim to anything quite so fancy at our house over the weekend I did make um, a pasta with was kind of an anchovy sauce with uh, burst cherry tomatoes and zucchini, lots of garlic, pasta and shrimp. It was it was divine. I did uh, the best thing I did though. I was John wanted to quote eat healthy uh, yesterday and had asked me to make an acai bowl for him. Uh-huh. And you know, acai is the fruit or berry from the Amazon that's such a superfood, and you can buy the puree and the grocery store so I got up and I had like four different kinds of seeds like chia seeds um, hemp seeds sunflower seeds I had yogurt I had all kinds of fruit granola I made this beautiful bowl and I garnished it with mint had kiwi berries spread around with it. I took a picture of it and he walked in and said, Oh God, that looks so good. I want two pieces of sausage to go with that. <laughs> of course he did. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to post on cooking and coping. And it wasn't just any sausage. He had <clears throat> one patty, and Adrian probably knows this part of a broad bent. It's uh, a company in Kentucky. They have their mama's sausage recipe. So one piece of broad bent sausage and then this uh, uh, fat piece of bratwurst and the acai bowl. So there you go. Wow, that's that's very cool. Uh, you know, we we go here and we go there. Sometimes we fry fish and sometimes we go healthy. So uh, life is full. 
One quick note from our Northeast correspondent, uh, Chico Harris reported uh, to me that he found a new uh, obscure fish house uh, called the Old West Fish and Steakhouse in Chesterville, Mississippi. And here's how he described getting there. He said, we were all surprised to find out it takes some twists and turns to get there. And there's an old rundown sign that makes it look like it's out of business. But I was absolutely shocked that one could turn off of Chesterfield Road in rural Lee County down a side road and there would be a functioning restaurant sitting there. I couldn't imagine it. They're open three hours a day, three days a week. And there you have it. Okay, so Malcolm, get us to this part of the state. I mean, we have listeners from Memphis to Alabama, and I'm lost. Well, this is uh, Union County. This is uh, uh, Bruce Browning's old neck of the woods. You know, this is Pontotoc. This is Ecru. This is up in that part of the world. You know, for larger picture, Tupelo, New Albany, break it on down, break it on down, you know, Pontotoc County, Union County, and then you get to these little villages like Chesterfield. Got it. So uh, another sort of personal aside before we delve deep into barbecue, when I was in college uh, in Boonville, Mississippi, which is the end of the long tail of the Appalachian Mountains and barbecue there uh, is basically influenced by Memphis and Tennessee. Uh, So there's a lot of whole hog, pull, chopped, you know, that sort of Memphis influence. I had a history professor who was a big barbecue aficionado, and I'll never forget him ranting from time to time in our history class that it was an absolute insult to use the letters BBQ and to denigrate something as holy as barbecue. And he would say, if you don't have the decency to spell the word out, you don't deserve to eat good barbecue. Well, he was a wise man indeed. And with that, I bring you the bard of barbecue, (laughs) He is the ruler of rib tips, <laughs> the sultan of sauce, and the potentate of potato salad. Mm. Our friend Adrian Miller from Denver, Colorado. Good morning. Good morning. You are such a great hype woman. I love that. Well, <laughs> well Adrian, you know, our relationship goes back a long way. We were both served together on the board of the Southern Foodways Alliance, and um, I have to admit, I followed you for years, and I, I follow you on Twitter, all your articles, and, and I saw when you were named the Bard of Barbecue, so um, <laughs> I took I took note. We, we've traveled many roads since that time. Yes, yes, but it's always good to be with you, even in this virtual format. Yes, and it has just given me such great pleasure during this past year to see how, after you know years of you being a lawyer and a culinary historian, that you've really become one of the major voices for food in America. You are quoted everywhere from the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and on. So it, it's been so rewarding to see that all of the hard work has paid off. Oh, yeah, it's definitely been a journey. So, yeah, thank you for blessing me with that. But, yeah, it's been interesting because, seriously, 20 years ago, if you told me, yeah, you would write some major books on food history, I think, what are you talking about, yo? (laughs) Well, we are absolutely delighted that you're here. And uh, the the book is a joy. The book comes out tomorrow for Mm -hmm. our listeners. The book's title is Black Smoke, the African-American and the United States of barbecue i love the subtitle and you know adrian when you were with us last year i guess it was a was it juneteenth or was it the year before anyway Mm -hmm. yeah i remember you talking about finishing this book and that you were just at the point of looking for a publisher uh and it it was just uh great to see that the university of north carolina press which what a 
super, super press. And the imprint, the Bill and Marcy Ferris imprint. You know, Marcy is a regular guest for us. And, you know, we are, we are big fans of both of the Ferris's. So, boy, did you land in the right place. Oh, yeah, I am so lucky. So, first of all, I'm just so grateful to the University of North Carolina Press for just believing in me with uh, so many other publishers don't. You know, I, I tell people whenever I'm feeling too good about myself, I'll just submit an idea to a commercial publisher. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is, yeah, yeah, it's just such an honor to be part of this new imprint. Um, you know, uh, I'm one of the early books in that series and the Ferrises are just such great people and such renowned scholars in their own right. And so just, it's just an honor to be a part of the imprint and also just to write a a book I think is worthy of the imprint. I think they're pretty pleased with how it's come out and I am as well. So it's Well, you know that Bill is a son of Mississippi and, you know, was actually the founder of the Center for the Study of Southern Culture. So we owe him a great debt. And although North Carolina spirited him away to the university, we claim him and he claims you. Nice. And, and, you know, Adrian, I, as I was reading your book, I have a tendency to look for all things Mississippi in every publication, every news story, every tweet, every radio show that I tune into. I just have these, you know, Mississippi antennae. Uh, and, of course, you know, this connection to Bill Ferris is certainly a major one, but I also uh, Java on earth for us. And I had forgotten about this, that here in Mississippi, we actually have a barbecue trail. And, and when I was at the arts commission and, and also being the state tourism director, and we were working on trails, you know, we have a blues trail, country music trail, writer's trail. Uh, we have a tamale trail. I remember someone getting in touch with me and discussing the formation of this Mississippi barbecue trail. Uh, and, and, and in it, it lists over 200 barbecue restaurants in Mississippi. Now, some are, you know, commercial, uh, uh, you know, franchise places, but a lot of them are mom and pop. They're gas stations and, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. truck stops and all of that. So, so Java, talk a little bit about how you uh, unearthed this nugget and, and reminded us of the Mississippi barbecue trail. Well, I was actually trying to just, I guess, as research for the show find out about how many barbecue places we have in Mississippi because uh, we have a number you know here in the city like you said from uh for in the central Mississippi area I'm talking about from the gas stations to the you know the high end type of uh barbecue places so I just was looking around and then a quick google search uh put me with uh com and um it's a great resource like if you're just trying to find out where good barbecue well i don't want to say good because i know it's it's levels out it's levels out here but if you want to find a barbecue place um where you are in the state um uh, msbbqtrail.com is a is a great place to to visit they also list uh barbecue events and uh, you know with covid and everything things got kind of uh changed around but people are having barbecue contests and uh and things uh for 2021 so uh it's a good it's a good resource and also, while I was, uh, you know, reading the book, I was thinking about, uh, you know, Black-owned barbecue places, because, Adrian, you're highlighting the African-American influence and, uh, uh, you know, place in history in, in barbecue. We'll get into that in, in a little while. But just off the top of my head, I begin trying to think of Black-owned barbecue places in Mississippi. And I came up with a short list and I want to invite our listeners to weigh in at any point during this show uh, and and remind us of black owned and black operated barbecue places that, that you're familiar with. And my short list was Letha's in Hattiesburg, which is a legendary barbecue family place that used to be in Columbia, Mississippi in a little shack right on the Pearl River under a bridge. And over the years, Letha has moved up off the river and out of Columbia and is now located in Hattiesburg. Uh, and that is a fantastic barbecue joint. The E&L, y'all will remember, Carol and Java, we've, we've interviewed those good folks over on Bailey Avenue. And, and they are a 
uh, outstanding locally owned and black owned and operated barbecue joint. I remembered Spoonies in Greenwood, Carol, which oh, we had some good times there. Adrian's been there too when we did our Delta divertisement yep. deep dive into food culture. Yep. And then finally, I remembered Williams in Bay St. Louis, Carol, which you and your father turned me on to. You the little family a barbecue place there that would furnish woods and do cookouts. And then they later had a retail store in Bay St. Louis. I remember. And also thank you for remembering my father and what a grand barbecue fan he was. The first thing he would do when he came to a town was drive around with his windows rolled down <laughs> and follow the smoke. <laughs> Being new barbecue. He, he did. And he would get so upset when people said they had barbecue, but there was no smoke because without barbecue, without smoke, there's no barbecue. <laughs> well, Adrian, go ahead. Real quick, I just have a quick question. That second place you mentioned, where where is that located? I didn't hear a city. The ENL is in Jackson on Bailey, one 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 Bailey Avenue. Okay, gotcha. And it's uh it's Eddie and Lula's um and it's local, family owned and operated. And we we have an interview somewhere in our archive uh, since we've started this show. Um, that, that we had, you know, one of the owners and operators on and kind of told the story, but, but very interesting, very uh, instrumental in the African-American community uh, here in Jackson. And I'm sure there are many more. And we invite people uh, who, who are saying, hey, what about this place or what about that place? Pick up your phone. It's uh, toll-free, 1-877-672-7464. If you don't want to talk to us on the air, shoot us an email at food at mpbonline.org. All right. So, Adrian, we are so happy that you are here. Java, should we take a break here or just keep on trucking? I think it's a good a good spot for everybody to catch their breath and, and, and reset, okay. and then we give uh, Adrian his, uh, his proper barbecued flowers this morning. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. All right, it's time for our first break. When we come back, we will dive deep into Adrian's new book, Black Smoke, African Americans and the United States of Barbecue part history book, recipe book, roadmap to a more inclusive barbecue pits. And we'll catch up with Adrian. We're so glad he's back on our show and talk a little bit more about his book. Please stay tuned and we'll be right back. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Thanks for choosing Deep South Dining to mess around with on this Monday morning. We are happy you are here. Carol, how are you feeling this morning? I'm feeling really good because Adrian Miller, the Bard of Barbecue, is on the show. He's back. And I'm, in the he, house. Is, he is back. We invited him back about a year ago. And I want to take a deep dive and say, Adrian, tell us about it. How did you get on to Black Smoke? Where did. Where did it come from? How did you know it was the next book? Yeah, so um, really when I was back writing the soul food book, I thought I needed to learn more about barbecue culture because so many soul food joints have a barbecue option on their menu, even if it's baked, right? They'll, they'll say barbecue, whatever. Uh, and then so many Black-owned barbecue joints have soul food sides. So I just I just saw a synergy there. So I thought I – and I was going to actually include barbecue in the first soul food book, but then – as I got deeper into it, I just said, you know what, this is uh, it's its own story. Um, so that's one part. The second part is I have to thank the Southern Foodways Alliance. Um, the year that I joined in 2002, the theme was barbecue. And um, I went on the field trip to uh, Central Texas. And those were the three of the happiest days of my life because I was just eating barbecue every day. But that was the first time that barbecue had been put into some kind of social context. 
you know, talking about the history, race relations and all these other things, because seriously, before that, my deepest thought about barbecue is like, hmm, this is good. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> after after that exposure, uh, you know, I started paying closer attention to kind of barbecue storytelling. And I just saw that it overwhelmingly was white. And um, one of the pivotal moments, I say, was uh, 2004. I'm watching the Food Network and I see a commercial for Paula Deen's Southern Barbecue. And I thought, okay, let me check this out. And it's going to be one of those, you know, tour of the South kind of things. Hour later, my mouth is agape because as the credits are rolling, I realized she did not talk to any black people, uh, interview any of the black people on that show. So first I thought, well, how does that even happen? And then second, I thought, well, maybe I got it twisted. Maybe it was Paula Deen's Scandinavian barbecue. And I just didn't pay close attention to the ad. Um, so after that, and it's easy to make fun of Paula Deen for this, but I actually blame the production crew because having been on these shows, it's usually a cast of people that decide where you're going to go, who you're going to talk to and, and, you know, they plug in the talent. And then as I just looked at more and more barbecue storytelling, I saw that African-Americans had been pushed to the margins. And I just thought that was whack. Hmm. Well, you know, whack. Adrian, uh, as I was reading your book and I read the piece about the Southern Foodways, Southern uh, Central I was on that trip. You and I were on that trip together. And I, I, I had, well, I mean, I, re, I knew that you and I had met in person at Southern Foodways. You were there when I pressed the po' boy and all that. Yep. But it clicked to me that that was the trip that you were writing about that I was actually on. And boy, was that an amazing outing. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, and it was it was just really interesting because I, um, you know, I'd heard about Texas barbecue, but I, what I loved about that trip is even though it was Texas focused, we, we got into a lot of it about just barbecue in the South. And then I went to the following the symposium that following October and just fell in love with the organization and the topic and everything. So, yeah, that's great. That's great. Hey, we just uh, had a listener uh, send us a message. We were talking in the first segment about. Mississippi black owned and operated barbecue joints. And I just got another one. Uh, Amanda Allison Anglin just uh, sent me this info. Dorothea's in Summit, Mississippi, a great place for barbecue and anything else they have on the menu. So thank you, Dorothea. Thank you uh, to Amanda for, for listening and uh, for sharing that tidbit with us. You know, um, I, if I can add Martha Fuths, who I know, you know, she keeps uh, pumping up a place called Drake's barbecue in greenwood um she loves that place and i haven't been there but periodically she posts messages on facebook and tags me and she's i'm not gonna quit i'm not gonna quit till you come here and eat <laughs> well listen none of us are gonna uh are gonna quit because you really didn't have an opportunity to take a, a deep dive into mississippi on on this trip so tell us about that yeah, so uh, I had to defend yourself. Right, yes, I have to defend myself. So unlike my soul food book, which has a strong Mississippi representation, this book does not. And really it was because of COVID. I had um, a trip to Mississippi and Alabama where I wanted to do a really deep dive and COVID, COVID cut that short. So um, I really feel bad that I, that's one of the, one of the places I really wanted. There were four places I really wanted to get to. Mississippi, Alabama, St. Louis area, and then uh, Oakland area, because there's some very interesting things going on with Black Barbecue in Oakland, California. And I just I just didn't make it. Another book. Yes. Yeah, another or Black Smoke. I'll call that. That's what I'll call it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will also say that one of one of the great lists, one of the great pieces of information in your book, there's so many. I mean, there's so many nuggets, so much great info. But at the very back, you list some of your favorite restaurants because you knew people would ask. Oh, yes. And, and so... <laughs> One of my all-time favorite barbecue places, the Cozy Corner in Memphis, is on your yes. list. I love that place. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing about the Cozy Corner, if your listeners don't know, is that Desiree Robinson, co-owner of that restaurant, was inducted to, to the American Royal Barbecue Hall of Fame last year. Oh, uh, okay. First African-American woman to get that, um, that honor. Uh, yeah, no, I just love that place. I mean, all of the standards are good, but even the funky stuff, right? Like quail. Would you expect to have quail? <laughs> I love you know, the quail. Cornish hen and all that kind Cornish of stuff. Cornish hens. I've had a few of those. Yeah, the barbecue bologna, um, the barbecue nachos, uh, all of that stuff is just awesome. Well, if you would, for our listeners and certainly for all of us, would you lay out the sort of um, the book, what uh, what your uh, premise was, you, you begin back with, you know, Native Americans 
um, and, and you move forward uh, through through an African-American history. Fascinating uh, line of, of, uh, of uh, inquiry. Would you please discuss a little bit for our listeners about that? Sure. So in a nutshell, it, this book is part celebration, part restoration. So it's a celebration of African-American barbecue culture. And the restoration part is just moving African-Americans from the sidelines back to the center of the barbecue story in this country. Because you just can't tell that story, honestly, without including African-Americans. So the, I start out with the Native American origins. Um, and the reason why I did that is because the typical story um, about the early days of barbecue is usually Europeans arriving in the Caribbean, seeing the indigenous people doing something they really don't haven't seen before that eventually gets called barbecue. And then Europeans bring that to mainland North America and add their animals, you know, the pigs, cows, sheep, and then we have barbecue born. But that seemed to just ignore what indigenous people were doing on the mainland. So um, I looked at those techniques and what I found is that eventually Barbecue was based on Native American kind of meat cooking and preservation techniques, but then this hybrid type of new type of cooking gets uh, invented a little bit later. And then uh, Africans and later enslaved Africans and enslaved African Americans thrown in the mix. So I talk about that transition from Native American cooking to where by the time you get to the mid 19th century, African Americans are, are barbecue's pr principal cooks and most effective ambassadors. And then how they go on to start businesses, um, church barbecue culture. You know, is there a black barbecue aesthetic? I explore that. I do a whole chapter on sauce because I'll just tell you a lot of African-Americans tell me, well, anybody can cook meat. It's really about the sauce, man. <laughs> uh, and then I look at competition barbecue. Like, you know, I, I give my reasons why I believe there are not as many African-Americans on the competition circuit, which is a huge part of barbecue culture today. And then I do a whole chapter explaining why African-Americans um, are, are not present in media. And I just kind of chart how that happens. And then I end by talking about the future of barbecue. Well, if someone were to say to you, you know, is there an African-American barbecue style? I mean, we talk about the Memphis style. We talk about Kansas City. We talk about Alabama as styles. Would you say that there's an African-American style? I would say there's a dominant style in, in this sense. Now, you, you find African-Americans hewing, you know, two traditional forms, like in places like East North Carolina, you know, Central Texas and things like that. But I would say that in terms of cooking it, um, instead of this low and slow idea, I find a lot of African-American barbecuers cook hot, fast, and then slow. Um, I would say that they're, in terms of meat, cuts of meat, you know, really spare ribs is dominant. Uh, but then um, also kind of chicken and hot link sausages, you kind of see those show up regardless of where people are. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of defies this regional style. Um, and, and, and then sauce. I mean, I've been to places and because there's this conventional wisdom that's emerged that barbecue should be unsauced, minimally okay. seasoned so you can taste the high quality meat, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I've been to places where you nah. get served. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've been to places where you get served your barbecue plate and it is a sea of sauce with little islands of meat poking through. That just shows you how much sauce is important, you know? Right. Right. Well, you also uh, talk about the meat falling off the bone of ribs somewhere and you say, no, thank you. Would you <laughs> elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So I know people mean it as a compliment, but when, <laughs> when somebody says it's falling off the bone, that means it's overcooked. <laughs> So, you know, it, it can still taste good, right? right. But, you know, you, you just, if you're going to pay that compliment, just don't do it around me. That's all. Love that. So, so what are your favorite sauces? So commercial sauces, um, I, Gates out of uh, Kansas City, that's my all-time favorite. Um, I just love Gates. Uh, and it's, you know, just tomato-based, little sweet, um, it's got the right thickness. It just really tastes good. So that, that's my favorite sauce. But, um, you know, I, I even like uh, East North Carolina style sauces. So Adam Scott sauce, you know, that um, vinegar. vinegar. With, yeah, I like that. And I, I think North Carolina barbecue gets a bad rap because I think so many people are making it poorly outside of North Carolina. They're not getting the real thing because we, the sauce is really not meant to be a, com a condiment, right? It's applied throughout the cooking process. Mm. And uh, it gives a depth of flavor that is just really, I think, quite nice. Um, hey, Adrian, talk a little bit for our listeners about North Carolina sauces, the differences in the regions. I mean, they have some really distinct sauces. Yeah, so the I would say the earliest barbecue sauce is what we call East North Carolina. And so that is just essentially vinegar with red pepper, maybe some other seasonings, but not a lot. 
And then as you move west, uh, what people call Lexington style, Piedmont style, you, you get additions of uh, tomato in there. And it really shows, uh, it's interesting because if you look at the close history, it shows the gradual acceptance of tomatoes because in the early history, you know, people thought tomatoes were poisonous because they're part of the nightshade family. Right. Um, and so it, it eventually gets accepted. So that just shows that acceptance. And then if you move south, you get you start to get mustard sauces. And I got to tell you, the mustard sauce at a place called Jenkins Quality Barbecue in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, which I, I kind of put in that kind of Carolina's tradition, man, that is next level. Um, so you get some mustard sauces in South Carolina as well. And um, man, I just love it. Hey, is Jenkins available commercially or do, does one have to be present to enjoy it? I think one has to be present, I'm, but I'm not sure about that. Okay. Maybe you I can love, order the I sauce. love a mustard sauce. You will love that one. I'm telling you. So Adrian, talk a little bit about the difference between the sauce and the basting sauce. The, I mean, the, right. Yeah. Know, some people put the sauce on too early or whatever. I mean, I'm not saying there's a right and wrong way to do barbecue. It's to each their own, but there's basting sauces and then there's barbecue sauces. Yeah. So what I've found in, in noticing cooks is as it is tend, um, usually the basting sauce is more vinegary um, and, and versus the finishing sauce. And that makes a lot of sense because uh, the more sugar content there is in that sauce, then, you know, you have the chance of caramelization and burning, right? And so uh, I find that usually um, the basting sauce is more vinegar and vinegary. You can have a tomato, you can have some elements, but um, I can just tell you my family without giving away too many secrets, um, the basting sauce has tended to be kind of the final sauce, but just more, add more vinegar is added um, mm. to just kind of dilute that. And that was added through the process. Now, our barbecue is not very vinegary, so we don't base that much throughout it. But um, yeah, that's the thing that I've noticed. And, you know, it's just the, you know, smart cooks realizing, hey, I don't want this to be too charred. I like a little charred, but not too much. Gotcha. And uh, you to follow ahead, up on your comment about uh, African-Americans not being shown in competitions, a little bit about that, what we need to do about that, if anything. Well, I think it's a structural problem um, because if you if you look at barbecue competitions, when competitions are there's a low uh, entry fee or it's free to enter, African American presence is no problem. And usually, uh, in a lot of cities, the newspaper or some civic group will host a barbecue and have a low fee, no problem. It's with these high end competitions where you have to pay a lot of money to enter. You have to have a five thousand dollar rig. You know, you don't have to, but if you want to have a chance to win, you know, you have all right. these equipment and then you've got to have a lifestyle that lends to you being on the circuit because, you know, you're there from a Thursday to a Monday, right? Um, most people, they're, they only get two weeks vacation. And if your honey doesn't want, you know, if you're like, honey, let's spend all of our vacation time on the competition circuit. You know, I don't know if that's going to fly in a lot of households. So usually it's people of means or retired or something who can really do this work, Um and uh, just another footnote, the first Memphis in May competition in 1978 was won by an African-American woman, Bessie May Cathay, uh, and she showed up with a minimal setup. Really? Yeah. Now, you, can you imagine that happening today? No, because you talk about rigs and tents and hoopla. There's, you know, a yeah. lot, lot that goes into it. Yeah. And, you know, the other aspect, which I think has diminished greatly in the last few years, is um, some some African-Americans have noted they didn't feel welcome because of the kind of uh, Southern good old boy culture that was perpetuated in Barrio Hughes. So Confederate flags flying and all that kind of stuff. Um, you don't I don't think you see that as much today. Um, and then the, the third part is uh, and I talked to some restaurateurs, they're just like, hey, man, I got nothing to prove. Why should I get into a contest and give away my product for free? <laughs> when I can just sit here and make money. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, and I think some people collect trophies and some people collect customers. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's an interest. I, I've been in the restaurant business for a long time and these contests, you know, came along uh, many years ago where you were asked to compete in a gumbo contest. You were asked to compete in a tamale contest. You were asked to compete, uh, you know, in a red beans and rice contest. And, and you're right, it, it you got to have gear you got to have time uh, because the, you just don't just show up with a pre-made pot and say, here it is. That's not how it works. Now, you've been a judge, a barbecue judge. Can you talk a little bit about that structure? 
Yeah, sure. And one, real quick, it's interesting the congruence now between competitions and customers because now when people, uh, you know, earn their chops in the competition circuit, they are now opening up restaurants. And so I don't know, I've been in so many restaurants now where you walk in the door and there's the trophy case. Right. 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 So, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. So I became a judge in 2004. I got to tell you, it's the best conversation starter I've ever had. I mean, people are like, oh, you worked in the Clinton White House. That's interesting. But you're a barbecue judge? I want to talk to you. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so yeah, in the, I'm in the Kansas City Barbecue uh, Society. And so their structure is you have four categories. Um, beef, which is usually brisket. Chicken, usually thighs. Uh, pork, which is usually pork shoulder. And ribs. And uh, you judge on a nine point scale on taste, texture, and appearance. And so uh, when you become a judge, they walk you through the categories, the process. One of the things that's fun is they tell you what's illegal because all of these sanctioning bodies for competitions, they have uh, you know, arbitrary rules about what's legal. So for instance, in the Kansas City Barbecue Society, you can only present your barbecue on green leaf lettuce, flat leaf parsley, and cilantro. So if you made the best barbecue in the whole world and presented it on collard greens, disqualified. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and then they um, then they have you go through and sample, you know, judging it, tasting it. And then after all that's done, you stand up and you take a barbecue oath. I'm not going to repeat it because it's a sacred thing. And I can already tell that some of your listeners would mock it. And then uh, later you get your barbecue badge in the mail and you can go judge any contest. Hmm. Fascinating. We got another email that uh, has identified another barbecue joint in Mississippi. Bounds Barbecue in Water Valley. That's terrific. Bounds Sounds market. like a road trip, Mal. Yeah, well, you know, every day is uh, a possibility for a road trip. Yeah, so and Adrian, that's very close to Oxford. So next time you come for Southern Foodways, you can try Bounds Barbecue in Water Valley. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, I remember hearing that name. So I've driven past it, or at least seen it on the signpost. Well, yeah, yeah, right. Um, is somebody <laughs> compiling these? Because I got a, I got interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll, ma- we'll maintain a list for you. You mentioned uh, working at the White House, uh, and, and so one of the nuggets that you share with us in the book is this barbecue trees concept and and all the different types. One of which is a cluster of trees adjacent to the United States Capitol where they used to host barbecues. I've never heard of this. That's cool. Well, you know, I'm here to help, Malcolm. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, the cool thing is about by the time you get to the early 18th century, there are two groups of leaders who figured out, hey, barbecue is the great way to bring a crowd. And those two groups are politicians and preachers. Ah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they used to have barbecue on the grounds at the Capitol. And it was a way for, you know, Whigs at that time and Democrats and others to just kind of figure out how to get their press their platform uh, and build community and get some votes. And so, yeah, I I think they should revive that, man. Um, I think that would be a great way to insert uh, civic life, you know, combine civic life with culinary mm-hmm. life in our in our politics, because uh, we need some healing for sure. But yeah, I, I did not know about that either. And uh, evidently, some of those trees are still standing. Wow, still- I got to seek that out next time I'm in our nation's, nation's yeah. capital. Yeah. But you also talk about, you know, barbecue trees being trees that are cut f- for, for the smoke and the cooking, and that there are all these other concepts of barbecue trees. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I kind of played out in two ways. And and part of it is to show how labor intensive uh, traditional barbecue was, because to do traditional barbecue, you had to find an area, clear it, you know, cleared of all debris and everything, get the trees, chop them down into hardwood coals, you know, and burn them into hardwood coals, dig a trench, cut, you know, butcher animals, process them and continue to cook them. So, um, you know, there's a there's a strong preference for local trees, of course, and hickory seems to be the one that has really been wedded with southern barbecue. Although when you get to other parts, you know, people are talking about oak a lot. I see oak and I have to tell you, I'm outside the south because I live in Denver, Colorado, but I I find oak more um, widely used than hickory. And I don't know if that's a price thing, availability thing or whatever. Uh, and the other sense that I um, had some fun with the t- concept of tree is if you follow sports, they often talk about a coaching tree, right? That there's some right. very influential figure who has a lot of disciples who go on to start uh, traditions of their own at other programs. And so you see that in barbecue. You see that there are well-known barbecuers who have apprentices and they go on to cook in other places and establish a great barbecue tradition. So I wanted to highlight because in in most barbecue history not everybody but in most barbecue history anybody who's cooking barbecue well now if they go far and far enough back 
in the pedigree, there's probably an African-American who was there to teach someone how to do that. Right. We've got one of our listeners and what we call our North Mississippi correspondent on the phone. Chico Harris is on the phone. Hey, Chico, what's happening? Hey, good morning, y'all. I, I wanted to bring up some African-American barbecue history, but also first do a shout out to Betty Davis Barbecue in Waterford, Mississippi, in southern Marshall County. It's it's one of my very, it's my favorite in Mississippi that's not Johnny's Drive-In in Tupelo. And uh, <laughs> Betty Davis Barbecue will be back at the end of June at the North Mississippi Hill Country Picnic, which is back this year, right there close to Waterford. Uh, you know, COVID knocked it out last year, but that's that's some good news right there. Um, African-American barbecue history, I think the competition between the urban places like Memphis and Kansas City is funny and, and fun. And we all know among the urban barbecues that Memphis is the best. But Mr. Henry <laughs> Perry, Mr. Henry Perry, the father of Kansas City barbecue, the man that made it happen in Kansas City, he moved there from Memphis. Hmm. Yeah, so there yes, you go. I talk about that in my book, how, um, you know, you, you get migration you folks. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, West Tennessee people were very influential in starting barbecue scenes in other places, including East Texas. Uh, so, yeah, that West Tennessee um, heritage is strong. And I, I argue that West Tennessee was, in combination with Kansas City, was kind of the default barbecue style for a long period of time. Um, but I think that's been eclipsed by Central Texas now, and we can talk about that. But <laughs> well, in, you know, in, Malcolm, in... there's there's a reason that Chico is our North Mississippi correspondent because the man is a veritable font of knowledge. We sh we should have known. Well, Chico, you will be impressed with it. I wrote about Henry Perry in my book, and I included one of his early ads. And one of the things that struck me about the ad is, not only does it have traditional barbecue things, but it has possum, groundhog. You know, all of this funky stuff was on the menu. I look forward to that book. Very much so. Cool. Chico, we appreciate you, as always, listening and calling in. You are a fountain of fun facts, and we, we're glad to have you. You know, speaking of people being from one area and going to another, there are two examples, uh, at least, in your book, Adrian, about Mississippi folks who moved north and made a big impression. Doc Hamilton being one born in West Point, Mississippi. And the other one is Ar Argilla. Do I have that pronounced right? Argia. 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 Yeah. Argia Collins, who is from Indianola, Carol. Yeah, let's hear about Argia. So Argia was uh, essentially this guy and his brothers kind of, they moved to Chicago during the Great Migration. Uh, and his brothers, they ended up running a couple of barbecue joints. And so he creates this sauce. Now in the earliest iteration of it was called Mambo sauce you know but later it's called mumbo and right. so he yeah so he was a really a one of the earliest barbecue um barbecue kind of sauce entrepreneurs and what was really cool about him is that he made serious progress i mean he he had a strategy where he went to a broader market he just didn't rely on african-american customers he got his uh, sauce into jewel which is the major you know the major department or grocery store chain uh, in that area so uh, he was really off, uh, involved in civil rights uh, with Reverend Jesse Jackson and Operation Push. So just a really interesting guy. And then Doc Hamilton, he, he's more a figure in the 1920s. And I called him the bad boy of barbecue. Um, <laughs> and anyone who knows barbecue history knows there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, unusual activity that's associated with barbecue. <laughs> you know, and often these people got a pass from the law because so, they had so many high profile customers who were going to get barbecue and also maybe get involved in a dice game or right. something else. And he shows up in Seattle and uh, he was a well-known figure in the 1920s. Well, we yeah. need to claim these guys. Absolutely. Hey, Malcolm, we need to put a, a marker up on the barbecue trail. Yeah, we do. We need yeah, to we do. That's um, what somebody Adrian, needs to do. Start another trail. Start another trail. <laughs> but um, Adrian, let's talk a little bit about rib tips. Yeah. So rib tips is... Um, According to what I've seen, rib tips really kind of come into creation in Chicago. Uh, essentially, uh, when when they start butchering St. Louis cut ribs, they remove the rib tip. And the reason why they're doing this is because if you know spare ribs have kind of an ovular shape, the idea here is to create a more uniform rectangular appearance for the ribs. So they cut off the rib tips and 
butcher some other parts. And so, you know, what you find in a lot of urban areas outside the South, especially, is that uh, black entrepreneurs are like, hey, they're throwing that away. Well, I'm just going to wait till they close and then I'm going to go in the garbage and just fish that out, clean it up, cook it up. Um, and then when the places find out, you know, they charge them. But still, it's really cheap to do that. And so they create a whole tradition of rib tips in Chicago. You see it throughout the Midwest. And um, now rib tips are everywhere. I mean, it's bar food now, kind of like a fried okra. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. But for African-Americans, typically most places will serve their ribs with the rib tip attached. In fact, it seems like the less butchering, the more preferred um, the ribs are. That's what I've, I've noticed. And burnt ends? So burnt ends. Now, Texas has been has pulled the okie doke on so many people because now people believe burnt ends are from Texas. But no, they are clearly from Arthur Bryant's, a legendary barbecue place in Kansas City. And if you've ever had brisket, you know, when you, you, you know, you serve it, you, you know, you slice it up and all that kind of stuff. Well, it creates this kind of odd cuts that are usually thrown away. Arthur Bryant's stroke of genius was like, no, I'm going to chop that up and put it in a cup and put it on the counter and my customers can munch on that while they're waiting for their order to be filled. So that's the origin of, of, of burnt ribs. But it also um, shows points to the gentrification of barbecue, some aspects of barbecue, because the early burnt ends were just seriously shards, a crispy shards uh, with a little bit of meat. And that was what served. Now burnt ends are these perfectly manicured cubes of meat oh. uh, that are very Instagrammable, right? That's what burnt ends <laughs> have become. Well, I, I mean, I think that's like rib tips, too. I mean, rib tips have become a thing where, you know, early on, it was the ch the cheapest part that that people could eat. And you really didn't find rib tips in the more gentrified you know, restaurants. And now it's become bar food. Who knew? Yeah, exactly. And I, I would argue that rib tips, if there's a if, if, if one could describe a South Side Chicago barbecue style, it's rib tips and hot link sausages with fries and sauce poured all over, and even some white bread thrown in. Um, that That's Southside barbecue, Southside Chicago barbecue. Well, we're running short on time, but let's talk a little bit about Rodney Scott, because uh, what a figure uh, he is. Yeah, I definitely wanted to give him a shout out because he's one of the more um, intriguing and promising figures in African-American barbecue now. So, you know, from Hemingway, South Carolina, his family ran a whole hog restaurant. He branched down on his own and, he has a spot in Charleston now, won a James Beard Award. And what's intriguing about him is he's got some money behind him now. And so he's branching out. Uh, there's a spot in Birmingham. He's got one going. Uh, is it Birmingham or Montgomery? I can't remember. But I think in, it's Birmingham. Birmingham. Okay. And then he's also got a spot now he's opening up in Atlanta. So, you know, I'm curious, is there going to be a taste for whole hog barbecue across the country as he looks to other spots? And in a way, you know, you could argue it's a very sustainable uh, way of barbecue right because you're eating a whole animal so it's kind of a back to the future moment right let's go to the phone we've got one of our favorite listeners dr edgar smith from jackson calling in hello edgar hi mike how you guys doing this morning man we're good morning, great. Edgar. Good. Good morning morning look here i just got uh you know i noticed in the jackson area that some of the most popular barbecue comes out of, is in service stations i wanted to what extended that concept practiced uh, around the country or, or, or what, but uh, some of the best barbecue I've had here is in, in these service stations. I'd like the guest to comment on that, if he would. Yeah, it's very episodic once you get outside of Mississippi. Um, I Now, I don't know if it happens in Alabama a lot, but I just don't find, let me just put it, I don't find a lot of good barbecue in service stations. And then once you get outside the South, I mean, you just rarely see that. Because um, I, I have my antenna up for that, because I, I did remark on I mean, in Mississippi when I was there to do my soul food research, how such great food was coming out of the gas stations. I'm like, man, I, I can get behind this. Yeah. yeah couple, it's, it's, go ahead. Mark. No, no, no. You go, Edgar. You go. I was going to say there are a couple of joints here in Jackson on north side across the street from each other. I don't know if you're familiar with them. I can't remember the names. Uh, they sort of compete, but they're at, at these gas stations. And the barbecue's not too bad. Right. <laughs> I think the name is Texaco and Chevron. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Big Daddy's, I think one is. Yeah. Big Daddy's, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I got a quick question. At the gas station, does it tend to be pork shoulder, or what? What are the cuts that are usually served? Uh, well, they're just the pork. Well, well, actually, the pork ribs and uh, chicken. Okay. Uh, 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 I 
can't think of and sausage. Okay. Yeah. And tips. And tips. 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 Right. They got a variety there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. All righty. Adrian, some of these started in Jackson around about thirty years ago, and were actually not inside the gas station. That was before that movement, but they would be a little portable shack on wheels at the gas station, usually at the borderline between uh, white and black black communities. Interesting. Yeah, that's one of the stories I didn't get to chase as hard as I wanted to. It was kind of this phenomenon of roadside and, and parking lot barbecue. Because, um, you know, those people are just hard to catch uh, yeah. sometimes. But yeah. Next book. Yeah. But, but this, you know, really... Uh, uh, goes to your point about the entrepreneurship in the African-American barbecue culture. I mean, these people partner up. They don't own these gas stations. They partner up with these people who need a food outlet, who don't want to own a restaurant. And then here's a, a guy or a gal who's really looking just for an outlet. So yeah. it's, an, it's an amazing American entrepreneur uh, model. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I, I, I end my book by saying, hey, I thought I was going to be writing an elegy for African-American barbecue, but I'm excited because of this entrepreneurship. And I just see, maybe we don't have as many brick and mortar places in the past, but you see entrepreneurship everywhere uh, and people getting their hustle on. So it's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. Adrian, we're so happy to have you again and we will co- we'll get you back on and so much uh, blessings and good luck, on, uh, good luck on your book, which comes out tomorrow, A Black Smoke. The subtitle is African-Americans and the United States of Barbecue. Thank you, sir. And we will hope to see you again very soon. All right. So good to be with you. Bye, Adrian. Bye. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We are funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is marvelously produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our special guest, Adrian Miller, I'm Malcolm White. Thank you for tuning in. Now stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed at 11 with Southern Remedy. And join us every Monday, each and every Monday, 9 a.m., right here for Deep South Dining, heard only on MPB Think Radio.